Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. I think it would be safe to say that these days, what with the global pandemic crisis continuing as we speak, that we're all living in the midst of a modern day age of doubt, a time when our natural born skepticism has become mingled with anxiety and fear. And when it comes to an experience of doubt, our thoughts inevitably turn to Thomas, Thomas the Apostle, AKA Doubting Thomas. Well, Thomas, his doubt, and ours is the subject for today's message, which is based on John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, and is entitled, Believing God. So, how about this morning we just say a few good words on behalf of Thomas? That's right, I said it, Thomas, as in Doubting Thomas, that nickname that has forevermore been bestowed to anyone who has ever been even remotely skeptical about anything. I mean, never mind that history has recorded Thomas as having been a fiercely loyal disciple of Jesus. It's believed that after the resurrection, Thomas brought the good news of the gospel to the ancient region of Khorasan, uh, located on what is now Iran and Afghanistan. And, and finally, he brought the same to India, where to this day there exists an order of St. Thomas that claims Thomas as their founder. In fact, legend also holds that it was in India that Thomas was martyred for his faith, that he was pierced by four spears. So Thomas, by all indications, lived a life fully devoted to Christ. And yet, and yet, what does everyone always remember about Thomas? What they remember is that he was the one disciple who would not could not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead unless and until he got proof. But really, friends, if we're being honest here, who could blame him? For all of the disciples, you see, Thomas was, shall we say, the die-hard realist of the group. And as such, I think he represents the more skeptical part of our human nature. Thomas, you see, knew what was what, didn't he? He knew how life works. He, he knew where the limits are placed in this life and, and what it is you've got to be looking out for. And if there's one thing that Thomas knew for certain, it was that when someone dies, that person is dead and gone and cannot, under any circumstance, return. So, when he heard the other disciples talk about having seen Jesus on that Easter evening, when they talked to one another about how they'd seen the wounds in his hand and side, see, Thomas was not about to, to take what they said at face value. Because what they were saying, you see, broke all the rules. Yes, he, he could hear the joy in their voices as, as they described to him how Jesus had appeared to them in the darkness of that Easter night. And, and he did also, by the way, remember how that very morning Jesus had run to them breathless with the news that she'd seen the Lord. 
But you see, to Thomas's mind, this was all too incredible to even consider. Because Thomas knew exactly what he'd seen. And what he'd seen was that Jesus died. In fact, Thomas could still feel that dull ache of emptiness and grief inside of him because Jesus had died. It was painful enough to have to accept the fact that Jesus was gone. But this? Jesus being alive? No, no matter what anybody else was saying, he hadn't been here to see it. And Thomas, ever the realist, was not about to place any kind of hope in that which he hadn't personally seen and experienced himself. Of course, this is not to say that Thomas didn't want that experience. We know this because, as John tells the story, when Thomas heard what the other disciples were claiming, he responded in the only way he could. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Bottom line, Thomas needed some hard evidence of this so-called resurrection if he was going to believe. And therein lies the part of the story that, well, makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Mostly because, truth be told, we kind of like to see that evidence ourselves. Theologian John Westerhoff explains it this way. Poor Thomas, he writes, Thomas desired only sacrament, only an outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual truth of the resurrection. He didn't doubt the stories told, but he did want some kind of a sign. And that's the story of our lives, Westerhoff goes on to say. It isn't enough for most of us to be told that someone loves us. We want that person to do something that expresses God's love for us. That's how it is with Easter faith. It's difficult to believe the words, but an action along with the words surely helps. (laughs) I suspect we can all understand that one. You know, I remember once way back when I was in the seventh grade, And one of the girls in my class came to me with the news that there was another girl in our class that really liked me. And not just liked me, mind you, but liked me, liked me, which when you're 13 is something altogether different. Now, I was way too shy to ever do anything about that revelation. And even at that age, I remained fairly skeptical as to how legitimate this confession of like actually was. But, oh, I got to tell you, I wanted it to be true. Oh, I wanted that to be true. And I remember waiting and waiting for some kind of outward and visible sign to come forth from my secret admirer. You know, the telltale look, the note inside the homeroom desk, the one that read, do you like me? Check yes or no. Oh, My doubt, you see, on this wasn't so much denial as it was the fervent desire that it be true. For many of us, you see, doubt is not so much a nagging source of denial as it is the persistent push that keeps us searching. 
It's the way we seek to know and to name what it is that we believe and then to live up to that belief. Thomas's doubt was not born of any kind of weakness, nor was it an exercise in mental or spiritual acrobatics. Thomas doubted in order to become sure. He was not content with secondhand believing. He asked questions. He, he pushed the envelope. He wrestled with truth as surely as Jacob wrestled with the angel. And in the end, what Thomas came to believe, he owned. Actually, that seems to me to be a pretty good definition for faith. It strikes me, you know, that right about now we're all living in a modern day age of doubt. A time when our natural born skepticism has not only increased, but it's become mingled with fear. I don't know about you, but every day, at some point or another, I go to the news hoping for some good news regarding, the, regarding this current pandemic crisis. But what I get is not at all reassuring. In fact, what I'm getting are mixed signals at best. So not only do I end up not knowing what it is to believe, I begin to wonder if there's anything to believe, if there's any end in sight to this crisis, if life will ever, ever go back to normal. I think you'll agree with me when I say that these are the days when doubt is flourishing. Like Thomas, you see, we need proof. We want some empirical evidence that things are going to change for the better. But the kind of evidence we need is that which goes beyond daily briefings and data reports. I dare say that right now you and I need the kind of assurance that's going to drive out our fear that's going to calm our anxieties and, and ease our ever-increasing weariness we're feeling over having to stay away and apart. We need peace. The kind of peace that's going to strengthen us for the full way ahead of us, the kind of peace that will bolster us to face whatever obstacles and storms are still before us. Simply put, we need the peace that comes from the Lord. What's interesting about this story of doubting Thomas, of course, is that when the risen Christ appears to the disciples a week later, this time Thomas is with them, and he gets this proof that he'd insisted upon. Jesus even offers him the opportunity to actually reach out his hand and touch his side so that he would not doubt but believe. But in the end, Thomas never actually does touch Jesus. Maybe all it took was to actually see Jesus standing there to shift his point of view. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus had specifically reached out to Thomas in his doubt. Or perhaps it came from a sudden, profound awareness of God's shalom, God's whole peace that had come in that greeting and the very presence of the risen Christ. But whatever it was that moved Thomas... His response ends up being the single most profound and complete recognition of who Jesus is. And though it doesn't say in John's Gospel, I have to think that the words were spoken in barely a whisper. For such was his sudden wonder and amazement and awe. My Lord and my God. 
To which Jesus answers, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And blessed are you and me when we believe, most especially in these difficult and uncertain times. Understanding, of course, that what we're given in believing is not a clear slate of answers as to how and when things are going to resolve themselves. What we're given in believing, beloved, is God and all of God's sure and certain promises that have come to us and continue with us in the risen Christ. Sort of like what Frederick Buechner has said about the difference between believing in God on the one hand and believing God on the other. Believing in God, he writes, is an intellectual position. It, it need have no more effect on your life than believing in Freud's method of interpreting dreams or the theory that Sir Francis Bacon wrote Romeo and Juliet. But believing God, that's something else again, he continues. It is less a position than a journey, less a realization than a relationship, it doesn't leave you cold like believing the world is round. It stirs your blood like believing the world is a miracle. It affects who you are and what you do with your life like believing your house is on fire or that somebody loves you. We believe God when somehow we run into God in a way that by and large leaves us no choice but to do otherwise. Beloved, in these times when Doubt cannot help but be running rampant through our minds and our hearts. We would do well to believe God. To believe his presence with us. To believe his power to overcome the world. To believe his hope in which we abide. To believe his peace that passes human understanding to believe his perfect love that casts out all fear. Our good news today, our good news every day, our good news amidst every struggle we face is that God is with us and loves us. And we know it. We have our proof because Christ, our Lord and our God, has risen indeed, and life can never be the same because of that. My prayer for us today is that even as these difficult days stretch onward, no matter what uncertainties exist around us, we have certainty. And I pray that each and all of us will open our eyes to the signs of his presence that are all around us, and that will find in his wonder the joy of his countenance and the incredible truth of his love. And as we do, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Believing God and it was recorded on April 19th as part of our current series of online services of worship at East Church in Concord, New Hampshire. 
As the current COVID-19 crisis continues, so are the online services. And we'd like to invite any of you who'd like to join us for those services to do so via Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. These services have truly been the next best thing to being there, and they've kept us together in the spirit of prayer and fellowship in these difficult times. And right now, that means a whole lot, and I hope you'll join us. And with that, we're at the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. And until next time, stay healthy, stay home, and may God bless you with a great day each and every day. And we'll talk to you soon.